All right. Um, thanks, Rob. Appreciate you doing that. And uh, I know that you, again, the van breaking down doesn't help, so thanks for working hard to get here. So, um, Okay, we've been in the book of Exodus now for 16 weeks, actually. This, well, this is the 16th week. And uh, so we're going to kind of be picking up. I was gone last week. I was in Chicago. Uh, my family's down there. My wife has some family down there. And so we, uh, it, was, it was a vacation uh, with family, so it wasn't really restful. Um, when, when the most restful moment is just driving for six hours, then you, you know it was, it was a rough weekend. But we really did have a good time. I love my family. Please, oh, they're going to listen to this. That's all right. Anyways, I love you. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Um, uh, okay, so I'm just going to jump right in and kind of what we're doing. And, and um, anyways, as, as Tim had mentioned, kind of where we're at, we're, we're just coming right off the tail end of the Passover. And, and really, there's going to be other themes in here of, of remembrance, yes, but also the idea of being a foreigner or no longer being a foreigner. And uh, I don't know if you've ever really traveled a whole lot. Um, my wife and I, several years ago, um, we were able to, several years, I think it was maybe three or four years ago, we were able to go to, go to Europe. And uh, this was our, yes, that is me. Uh, it doesn't look like me at all. Uh, that's who my wife married. Um, and and uh, this was our favorite spot. It's kind of hard to see, but, but it's this beautiful cathedral up on top of this huge hill called, uh, in English, it's Mount Mart, but um, you know, it's, in French, it's probably like Montmartre. Um, something like that. And so, um, is that right? You know, right? What is it called? Montmartre. Oh, Montmartre. Okay, I was way off. Um, anyways, it's French. And uh, anyways, loved it. It was our, by far our favorite spot. We, we went there every night. You could just sit out there and people would play music and, and uh, getting used to the culture. Um, and, and I'm an ignorant American, right? I know English, period. And so I was going to try to be wise. I'm going to get that picture off because I'm just huge up on that screen. Um, I, when we were there, I thought I was going to be really intelligent and download this app called uh, Google Translate. And I thought, oh, this will this will help me with everything, and I'll be able to figure it out. And I don't need to learn French, and I'll just be ignorant and let let the internet figure it out for me. And uh, we would. What my wife and I love to do is, yeah, there's all these really touristy things to do, which which they're fun. Uh, but anytime you would go out to eat, we would love to just walk, just get lost. We wouldn't get lost, but you know what I mean. Just, just start walking, get away to where there wasn't anything in English, and then we were knew we were actually in France. And so uh, we went into this random place, which ironically it was called, uh, correct me here, but the Porte de Bleu, which means the blue door, right? Which I thought was kind of funny because we have a bunch of blue doors here, but it was in France, so it wasn't, there's no connection, none, none whatsoever. And so we went there a few times, it was delicious. Um, what's interesting is when we got in there, I'm thought, I, read, I got my Google Translate um, because we, were, we went to London, which they're English, it's fine, I can figure that out. And then at the tail end of it, we were in, in Rome and Naples. Um, and Italian, you know, when you go, because that's the biggest thing, is like when you need to just order food. But in Italian, lasagna is lasagna, spaghetti is spaghetti. You, you can figure out what you're ordering because we eat kind of the same things. But in, in French, we had no idea what we were ordering. And uh, we went to these little hole-in-the-wall places. Well, every menu was written in chalk, like handwritten. So Google Translator did absolutely nothing. And so we're in here trying to figure out what we're trying to, I don't know what we're ordering, you know, what looks, we're just hands, we don't know what we're doing. And uh, thankfully, the, the waitress that was, that was serving us was very, very helpful and very kind and patient with us. But what I learned, especially in, in Paris, was the wait staff is completely different from American wait staff. I was a waiter for probably a good five years of my life. And you would always be checking on people, right? You, you, you'd refill their drink bef before it's empty, uh, uh, whatever, right? You're cleaning things up. You're, how's the food? How's things taste? They don't do that there. 
They take, like you call them over there, which you, it feels rude in America to hey, come here, I need you. And they come over, you take their order, they take your order, and then they leave. And that's it. They bring your food out and they leave. And then, and so I was always like, okay, we're ready to go, right? I'm pulling my wallet out, you know, tapping the card on the table. How do I let them know it's time to go, right? So I'd finally call them over and I would just say, we're good to go. And they'd be like, okay, like, what's that mean, right? It was just lost in translation. Like, we just wanted to get out of the restaurant. I just wanted to pay. Um, and so we were, we were foreigners in this place that we just couldn't communicate. And it was a very difficult place. And I'm sure some of you have stories like that as well. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today of this idea of being a foreigner. And, and now, because of what, who, where we are in our position in Christ, we're no longer foreigners. And so the um, title of the message today is Remember and Respond as we look at what happens here in Exodus 12, 43 through 13, 16. So if you haven't been here, that's okay. We just finished up. Um, I know Pastor Steve spoke last week on the book, or on the book of Exodus, yes, but on the actual Exodus. And I heard that he went quite long, um, and, I, and I was trying to help him with that. I said, you know, it's all right. You're, you're literally teaching on the Exodus. The name of the book is the Exodus. You're allowed to go an extra 20, 30 minutes, right? Uh, so it's okay. Um, and so... So I gave him a hard time about that, but it's all good. So uh, we, we went over there, the Exodus, but then the Passover. The Passover happens, the Exodus happens, and now we're going to kind of go back, and, and, and Moses is going to kind of, and God's going to give more regulations and kind of restrictions when it comes to the Passover meal and what's going to happen with that. So let's just read here, and then I will kind of just make some, some comments as, as we do this. And Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, these are the regulations for the Passover meal. No foreigner may eat it. Any slave you have uh, bought may eat it after you have circumcised him, but a temporary resident or a hired worker may not eat it. All right? This is clearly making some distinctions here, that you need to be part of Israel, that if you are a hired worker or a servant or anybody that is there and going to reside there for a while, uh, and, and slavery here, I, I could have spent a lot of time looking at this, but uh, well, this will come up later on. Slavery here is completely different than the way we would call it, uh, in, at least in our American minds, and the, and the horrific evil that we think of slavery. Uh, these were hired workers that could earn their freedom, incredibly different. Um, so that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, so, but no foreigner may eat it, right? So if you are a foreigner, right, and you're just coming into my house, or you're traveling through, which was a very normal custom where people would be coming by and say, hey, come on in, uh, we'll host you, we're going to have some dinner tonight, whatever it may be. Uh, they would say, nope, not tonight. You cannot come in my house. No foreigner can eat this. That they actually need to convert to Judaism in order to take place in this meal. So it says there in verse 46, it must be eaten inside of the house. And take, uh, take none of the meat outside the house and do not break any of the bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate. This was a communal thing. We talked about this in, in weeks past that everybody did this in Israel. And then if you didn't do it, you didn't do it and you didn't obey the regulations, you were cut off from Israel. It was a really bad thing if you didn't obey the very strict regulations that they had when it came to this. Moving on, a foreigner residing among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in the household circumcised, and then he may take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat it. The same law applies to both the native-born and the foreigner residing among you. So if you were a foreigner and you wanted to do this, you had to take place, you literally had to become Jewish. Not in ethnicity, right? We're not talking ethics, or sorry, excuse me, not ethics, uh, ethnicity. We're talking about converting. 
right? Saying, I belong to this community. I belong to this people group underneath the covenant of Yahweh, and I want to be part of that. So what do I need to do? And the restriction was that the males needed to be circumcised. One thing I do want to point out that I appreciated about this is there's no distinction between whether it's a servant or a slave or the head of the household or the master, whatever it may be, that they all, all people, the entire community celebrates in this. But one thing that does need to be in common is they all need to worship Yahweh. And all the Israelites did just what Yahweh uh, had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, Yahweh brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. So that is kind of the, the tail end of the Exodus. It's the last little bit of chapter 12. So now they're, now they're done. This is just some last minute regulations in the Passover. Um, but we're going to keep moving on here. So then he talks about the consecration of the firstborn. So what does this mean? And Yahweh said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me whether human or animal. Then Moses said to the people, commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, of the land of slavery, because Yahweh brought you uh, you out with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. And we talked about that again a couple weeks ago, looking at Passover, because if it had yeast in it, it would take a while, take some time for that yeast to incorporate and rise. They They needed to be ready to go immediately. And so that was why they didn't have any yeast in their bread. And so today, in the month of Aviv, you are leaving. When Yahweh brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, the land he swore to your ancestors to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe the ceremony in this month. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast, and the seventh day, hold a festival to Yahweh. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days, and nothing with yeast is to be eaten among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. All right, yeast is really bad when it comes to this meal. Uh, Any other time, no problem. But for this, God is saying that I'm going to be strict on this. And on that day, tell your son, I do this because of what Yahweh did for me when I came out of Egypt. Now, this is interesting because this is to be a lasting ordinance. And this is what parents are to say. And this is to this day what Jewish families say when they celebrate Passover. They say, I do this because of what Yahweh did for me when I came out of Egypt. All right, there's, a, there's, a, there's an immediate thing here. And when we look at remembrance, I think a lot of times when we think of, of uh, remembrance, uh, we think of the songs, you know, remember the time from long ago, right? It's not just remembering like cognizant, I'm just going to remember this memory, I've got this thing in my brain. It's actually taking part. It's something more active than just remembering. There's something visceral about it. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of Yahweh is to be on your lips. When something is on your, on your lips, you're constantly talking about it. You want to speak about it. You want to think about it. You want to share it. This was unfortunately uh, manipulated into religiosity uh, in the New Testament where the religious leaders, uh, the Pharisees, would actually take these things called phylacteries and they would take boxes and, uh, and they would put scripture in these boxes and tie scripture on their forehead. They would take these passages of, let this passage, let this word be on your mind. They'd go, oh, I could do that. See, done. It's on my mind, okay? And everyone else who doesn't have a box in their forehead, you're not, clearly not as religious as I am. God doesn't love you as much as he loves me, all right? Four, Yahweh brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand 
and you must keep this ordinance at the appointed time year after year. Spoiler alert, um, they're not going to do this year after year. They're actually going to do this one time, uh, and then they're going to wander for 40 years. And then it's not until they get to the new the land that was promised to his descendants, to Abraham's descendants, that they actually start, that they do the second uh, remembrance of this meal. One uh, commentary says this, It was a celebration of Israel's redemption from Egypt. So the Passover meal is a celebration of Israel's redemption from Egypt, which they ought not to forget. For the departure constituted the inception of their existence as a nation. Nation. Nor must Israel forget the terrible means by which redemption was enacted. All right, what the author's talking about here is going back to the last plague, the tenth plague, which is a horrible, terrible thing that happened, but yet it was necessary, which we'll look at, uh, and we did a couple weeks ago, so I'm not going to spend as much time as I did a few weeks ago. But the enactment of the tenth plague, which was the death of the firstborn sons of Egypt. So the sacrifice of the Passover lamb, so in that time they would kill these lamb, this lamb, they would take blood and they would put it on their doorpost and the Passover lamb is a constant reminder to Israel that their life came from death. They must also remember that the firstborn of the womb belongs to God. That's why he says consecrate the firstborn to God. It is by his right and he may do with it as he pleases. The destroyer, the tenth plague, as I mentioned, was not a random type of punishment. It was directed against the Egyptian firstborn. This is significant. Not only was the tenth plague a payback for Pharaoh's decree to kill the Israelite children in chapter 1, but it was God's, God's exercising his divine right over the firstborn. The Passover is not simply a matter of a lamb replacing the Israelites' firstborn. It is also God purchasing so to speak, the redemption of his firstborn son, Israel, through the death of the Egyptian firstborn, since it was precisely this catastrophe that led Pharaoh to call for Israel's release. This next passage, when I first read it, um, I, you know, again, I, I study and I read the Bible a lot, but this one kind of I had to do a double take. Wait, what did I just, what did I just read? What, what just happened here? And so, so I kind of tell us, you, you, you want us to do what? Uh, which, which immediately reminded me of, um, of uh, Top Gun. I think it's Maverick, and he's got, I think it's, um, is it uh, uh, Hollywood, I think is his new co-pilot. And, and he says, I'm going to hit the brakes, they're going to fly right past us. And Hollywood says, well, you want us to do what? Um, and that's kind of what happens here, where God says, this is what I want you to do. After Yahweh brings you to the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you as he promised an oath to you and your ancestors, you are to give over to Yahweh the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of the livestock belong to, the, belong to Yahweh and redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons." All right, so I got to stop there and go, what did I just read? Break its neck. Why are we breaking donkeys' necks, right? It's a little baby donkey. Why are we breaking their necks? I'm so confused, right? So I had to go back and do a lot of research and study on this. But as we get into the book of Leviticus, which we're not, I don't think, uh, we're going to go through the book of Leviticus, at least not like this. Um, it's all the rules and laws and regulations, and it, and it ends up getting there what, what was clean and unclean with the, Egyptian, with, with the Israelites. And so what was clean to them, what was clean to God, uh, in this old covenant was um, hooved animals that could chew the cud, all right? So a cow, a goat, a lamb, whatever, but not horses or donkeys. 
All right, so there are things that were clean animals that, that was an acceptable sacrifice to God. And so when something, when there was a, a redemption, when a, a sacrifice needed to be made, it had to be an approved animal. And so that what they're saying there with the whole breaking of the donkey's neck there is redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey, all right? But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. So imagine, right, you're, you're, you're an Israelite and you've got a, a couple of, of, of lambs, a couple of sheep, and you've got a donkey who just had its uh, foal, or donkeys have foals, I don't know, but they had their baby donkey. Um, and, and you say, man, I could really use that donkey uh, more than I need you know, I've got more sheep. I don't need these sheep, but I really need this donkey, right? So they would then take one of the lambs and sacrifice the lamb to redeem to, that payback to, to be able to keep that, that donkey. But they would say, well, I really want all my lambs, and I really want all my, all my donkeys, uh, and it doesn't seem like God even wants this donkey, so therefore I'll just keep it, I'll just keep it myself. And what Yahweh here is saying is, no, 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 it's mine. The firstborn is mine, Therefore, redeem it. You redeem it by breaking its neck. It's mine. And so you redeem every firstborn among your sons. And, and what's interesting is there's not a whole lot. We, we know that child sacrifice is wrong, okay? So he's not saying do the same thing with your firstborn as far as you don't need your son, just break its neck. It's not what Jesus is, or Jesus. It's not what Yahweh's saying here. He's saying redeem it, right? There's going to be a sacrifice that's going to be paid on their behalf. Um, and so that's, that's what happens. Okay, why? What in the world? Why, why are we consecrating the firstborn? Um, and, and this is where it's going to get a little bit uh, theological, okay? A little bit more theological than I normally tend to, to do on a Sunday. Um, but I, I really think this is important. Uh, because for me, the way that I grew up, um, it seemed a little anemic, all right? It seemed like the, uh, the, the, the message that was being taught was lacking something um, because I looked at the Old Testament and I would read the Old Testament, and, and, and I, my, the response was, um, you weren't invited to that party. Uh, it had nothing to do with me. I was reading somebody else's history. But when I read it through the lens that I've been reading it through, and, and Reformed theology, which is where we're at, and covenant theology, that this is me. That when I read the Exodus story, it's my story. And we talked about this with, with them. They didn't earn one step out of Egypt. I didn't earn one step of my redemption. They didn't earn one step out of their slavery. I didn't earn one step out of my slavery to sin. It's the same story. So, uh, why? This is why. In the days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean, right? Why, Dad, why, why are we burning these animals so we could use them? Say to him, with a mighty hand, Yahweh brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, Yahweh killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to Yahweh the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it is like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that Yahweh brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. It's all God doing this. That the Israelites can't say, yeah, we, we, we did this. Man, Moses, he was a great general. He, he fought off the Egyptian. No, God did this. It's all God. And we're going to remember this over and over and over, viscerally eating, viscerally remembering what God has done for us. So going all the way back, God taking ownership of the firstborn son, I'm going to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 22. This is Abraham. This is the father of the Israelite faith, and as well as ours, because it's the same, but the Messiah is Christ. So, 
Genesis 22, 1 through 14 says this. I'm just going to read through this. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, now take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac and his son, his son and split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place to which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and, I will, uh, and the lad and I will go over there and we will worship and return to you. And Abraham took the wood from the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took it into his hand, the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. And they came on to that place which God had told him and Abraham to build the altar there and arrange the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar and on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took out the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against, your lad, against the lad and do nothing to harm him and do nothing to him. For no that I, uh, sorry, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, for me. You have not withheld your firstborn. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked and beheld behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered up for him the burnt offering in the place for his son. And Abraham called the place of the Lord will provide, as it is to this day, the mount of the Lord will provide. That's God all the way back in the beginning to say I, I'm calling the firstborn. I'm redeeming the firstborn. Something needs to happen here. And Jacob, his name is going to be Israel, and as he ends up founding this nation of Israelites. Another quote here, God's command to Abraham in Genesis 22, what we just read, is thus well within the pattern of conduct, going into the con context of of uh, Exodus. In this context, we see the heinousness of Pharaoh's decree in Exodus 1 more clearly. By wanting to kill Israelites' male children, Pharaoh is not simply killing God's people or reducing the number of potential rebels. The children whom Pharaoh has killed include the firstborn of Israel, God's property, and those who will later be shown to be special to God and who belong to him exclusively by having them thrown into the Nile. Pharaoh is, as we have seen elsewhere in, in plagues past, setting himself up as a God figure. He's doing no less than usurping Yahweh's right to the firstborn. Looking at God taking ownership of, of everything. Says this, going into the book of Leviticus. This has not been established yet, but God's going to say, I don't want just the firstborn of, of animals and of people. I actually want the firstborn of, of your labor, of your fruit. Says then, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak with the sons of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land which I am going to give you and reap your harvest, you shall bring it in the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And he will wave the sheaf before the Lord for you to be accepted. And on that day on the Sabbath, the priest will wave it. 
Now on the day when you, have, when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, one year old, without defect, for a burnt offering to the Lord. And its grain offering shall then be two-tenths of an epath, uh, fine mixed flour mixed with oil, and an offering by fire to the Lord, a soothing aroma, with this drink offering a fourth of a hin of wine. Until this day, and until you have brought the offering to your God, you shall eat neither bread nor roasted grain nor new growth. It is to be a perpetual statute throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. All right, so I don't just read a lot there, but what's happening, right? God's saying even the first, first grain, the first fruit that comes, that's, that's mine. Right? I gave this to you, and, and I provided this for you, and so you will give it back. And, and again, you got to imagine, I, I, listen, I, just yesterday I started gardening. I am not a gardener. I don't know what I'm doing. So if anyone's got some tips for that, I, I was digging, trying to get some, rid of some weeds, and I found like a bunch of plastic. I don't, know, I don't know what, why is there plastic under the dirt? I don't get it, okay? So uh, anyways, it took all day ripping this stuff up, and, and, and that was the like after picture. I was like taking a picture. Actually, the picture was for my cousin. He wanted me to come over and hang out, and I was like, I'm working, and he's like, yeah, right. So I had to, I had to prove it to him. So um, you know how it goes, right? Uh, so, so anyways, uh, I did all this work, and it's like, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to plant some stuff. Maybe it'll grow. Hopefully it will, right? But then it's like, so you're telling me, God is saying here, right, all the labor that goes into even just the little thing that I did, God's saying, I want it first. And you're going to give that to me first, all that labor that you did. But what I love here, and I'm going to make a big jump into the New Testament here, but I want you to follow the language that we're going to read from the Apostle Paul, and he's going to make so many connections, and Peter, back to this language of being foreigners and strangers. Because remember, remember going back, no foreigner could eat this meal, right? So what does that mean for us? There may be in here, you may be of Jewish descent. Uh, I'm not, uh, and most of us probably are not. And so if we look at this, we say, well, that's, that's it. So then for me to be part of that covenant, so I need to convert to Judaism. I'm an outsider. I'm a Gentile. I'm a foreigner. I'm a, I'm a wanderer in this land. And so Paul says this in Ephesians 2, says this. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcision by those who call themselves the circumcision. All right, the group, the Israelites who say, we're, we're it. We're the only way in, in this covenant, which is done by the body of human hands, in the body by human hands. Remember that at a time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. As we look at the Israelites and as they wandered around, imagine the, the treachery and people and groups that would oppress them over and over and over. And there were, as we saw last week and, and a week before, there were people who left with them that wanted to be part of that. But to be part of that, it was individuals at most, sometimes cities would join and be part of the Israelite community. But now, you don't have to become an Israelite. Now it's for all people. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, our Passover lamb, the final Passover lamb. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. This is what I was talking about. The Old Testament's my Old Testament. It's my story too. But it's, it's, it's and 
It's the, it's the culmination of what Christ has done in it. And he destroys this barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, right, within the temple. And I'm going to explain this really quickly, and I know I've shared this before. In the temple, there was a, a court of women uh, where, excuse me, a court of Gentiles. Gentiles could be anywhere out here around the, the temple. And then there was a wall, a giant wall. And on there, there was warnings that said, uh, if a Gentile crosses this, uh, then, then, then God have mercy on your soul, basically. Right? If you cross into this and you're not a Jew, then, then God's going to strike you dead. All right? There's a dividing wall of hostility. Only Jews could come in here and Christ shows up and destroys that barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Okay, quick application. Then, then as, as a people of God, as a people of Jesus Christ, we shouldn't have any discrepancies or, or, or racism or anything, right? Because it's the church of Christ. He's destroyed that dividing wall of hostility. We're all one in him. We've been grafted in together. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, right? All these rules and regulations and things that we used to have to do to remain in the covenant, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. It's now by grace. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Peace to the Gentiles, peace to the Israelites. For through him, through Christ, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. There it is. You're no longer wandering through this land, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place, which God lives by his spirit. First Peter is just riddled with language of, of Israel and the Israelites saying, this is no longer just about Israel. They're a royal nation. You are now a royal nation. They're a royal priesthood. You are a royal priesthood. You are chosen. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. One last quote. The great irony is that the true firstborn son is not protected as was Israel. But he has become the enemy of God. Talking about Jesus, talking about the Messiah, the true firstborn son. He has become the enemy of God, as was Egypt. In his death, God's firstborn son is more like Egypt than Israel in that he bears God's wrath. But three days later, he rises to exaltation to fill another purpose, the exaltation of Israel. Through, the, through this special son, God fulfills another purpose, the redemption not of Israel the firstborn, but of Israel the lateborn. All right, what's he mean by lateborn? With Christ's death and resurrection, the true spiritual pedigree of God's people comes to light. The people of God are not firstborn. They become the firstborn through their union with Christ, the true firstborn son. The death of Christ, the firstborn son, is what allows God's people, the lateborn son, that's all of us, to be raised to the primary status of the firstborn son. 
That is why Christ is referred to as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's our elder brother. He's also called the firstborn among many brothers. The resurrection is the first installment of what is waiting for us. It is by his resurrection that we have become co-heirs with Christ. In other words, we have become like Christ, firstborn children. Redemption is about election. The election of a people who are not firstborn. That's you and me. Christ is the firstborn, who are not of any favored status and the sacrificial death of their true firstborn son through whom these late-born people are adopted to receive the status of the firstborn. The Passover blessing of Israel has been extended to the world. All those who are in Christ, the Passover lamb, have become God's children. So just a quick application as we look at what does this passage mean then for us today, here, now, Remember what it means to be free, right? I think there's two different things, right? Viscerally taste it, and we're going to do that in a minute. We're going to have uh, communion. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. That we're viscerally going to take the bread and drink the juice or, or the stale gluten-free crackers over here if you need them. And we're going to take these things and we're going to viscerally taste and remember what Jesus did for me, the true Passover lamb, that I didn't deserve this. There's nothing that I could do to deserve this. That's what it means to be free and enjoy the freedom from slavery to sin. At the same time, remember what it was like to be a slave. Remember what it was like to be a slave to sin. To not even be able to say no. To not even be able to cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, help me. To not have the power of the Spirit indwelling. Think of those people that are closest to you. Friends, family, neighbors, coworkers, roommates, spouse. Remember what it was like. Man, and, and tell them about this. If you believe this, tell them. And so finally, just respond. Remember and respond. They were told to remember and remember. Why do we do this? Because it is God who saves us, not me. And it is only through Christ that I've been set free, my elder brother, that I get to take these elements and enjoy them and remember what it was that Christ did for me. Will you bow with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, God, Yahweh, creator of the universe, creator of our, our bodies, of who we are, God, I pray that as we take the elements, that you would be honored and glorified, that we would remember what our elder brother did for us, that he sacrificed his life so those of us who are late-born, those of us who are not the firstborn, can become firstborn with Christ, co-heirs with Christ doesn't matter if we're Jews or Gentiles or black or white. doesn't matter. That we all can come near to Christ, our brother at the foot of the cross. So God, we thank you. We praise you for who you are. And to Christ's name, we pray.